I was um, I was an NBA fan before I was a Memphis fan. I wish there wasn't a team here. Um, I, I when I was younger, I, I was I one of my favorite players was obviously Penny Hardaway. He played, you know. So my team yeah. was oddly enough because of him, because of his Memphis connections and everything. Um, I loved to watch the Orlando Magic when I was a kid. Uh, I I was I'm on the probably slightly the cutoff of the Jordan era where I, I you know didn't really understand how or you know really watch him play. Um, but as far as Memphis goes, you know, it took a little while before I probably really caught on uh, with the Grizzlies. And, and Memphis is an odd and kind of a strange city in, in the sense that, you know, the the, univer- the university here, the University of Memphis, is, is for a long time was was putting more people in the seats than the Grizzlies were. You know, so you have a team, uh, a college team that regularly puts 18,000, 17,000 people in an arena. Uh which is very, you know, unlikely in most college situations. So for, I went to the University of Memphis and so I graduated there. So that was kind of what my basketball was for the longest time. And then, um, and then the, the Grizzlies put together the combination of Mark and Mike and Zach and Tony. And so that's really where I started to key in on the Grizzlies uh, and really start to watch them, you know, probably 2010, uh, 2009, really start to watch the, those guys a little bit more. And at that time I was working for a company that got free tickets to a suite, uh, the Grizzlies. And so for several years, we went and, and watched Grizzlies games just because that was something to do. So um, really, really when the core four got put together was really when I, you know, started to, to pay attention, pay attention more. And that kind of coincided with the University of Memphis started to be not as good and didn't have, you know, didn't have that track record they had before. So who's your favorite uh, Grizzlies player then? I assume it's one of the, the Mark, Zach, Mike, Tony, Quartet. Which one of those guys is the, not only the guy that you think necessarily is yeah, the best Grizzlies player, but who's your favorite player to have watched over that time period? Well, I have a about a 12-foot Zach Randolph banner that they got out of a, a Grizzlies yard, so they, they were had it hanging in the arena. It's not hanging in my office, so I would have to say uh, Zebo is, is he um, is quite honestly probably one of the better players the Grizzlies have ever had, but also just such a fun to watch, just a fun, fun guy to watch, you, you know, just a, a guy that, um, you know, when he got on the block, he was going to do something and, and it didn't matter what, and, and you were okay with that a lot of times. So uh, just, I mean, really fun guy to watch too. Easily, uh, without question, my favorite player. What's the best game you've ever watched as a, as a fan or as a media member covering the Grizzlies? What's that game where you were yeah, super yeah, pumped, a playoff game in which series? Or which game was it for you that was the number one game during that time of the Grizzlies existing in Memphis? You know, it, it kind of coincides with probably Zebo being my favorite player. But I think my, I think my all-time favorite... I would, I'll say even more than that, but the, the series with the Grizzlies were the eight seed and the Spurs were, were the one seed, and they uh, they upset them. And, and one of those games, I can't remember if it was game three or game four, but Zebo just had, I mean, he had like an insane game. I mean, he was just killing the Spurs from everywhere, and they couldn't do anything to stop him. Um, all time, one of the best series to go back and watch, some of the best games the Grizzlies played, uh, there were you know, Zebo was was at his peak that year. I don't, I don't even remember what year that was. I think it was 2011. I'm not sure. I think it was 2011. But yeah, I mean that that game where that series um, all time favorite easily hands down. But honestly, with with the arrival of John Morant, there has been some crazy, already crazy games this year. So I'm sure in the future, hopefully uh, that will continue. He'll give us a few more. Do you think Ja will become the best Grizzly of all time? 
Yeah, I, I think I think John Morant will be the best Grizzly that 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 has ever played in Memphis. Um, you know, he's, you know, we we I think you and I talked about this on this show, um, maybe before Ja really started playing. And you know, would we would he translate to the NBA? And a lot of things that Ja does. You know, has, has always been. I thought was always going to be translatable. You know, the vision, uh, what he does uh, as far as passing, his ability to just to see the floor. Uh, I mean, after you know, spending the last you know however many months just talking to him after the games, and something that's always been really impressive with John Moran is that he can physically tell you the things that are happening when that play is happening. It happens in seconds in real time, but he can walk you through it and take it take a ten minute conversation to walk through it. And he knows everything that's happening on the court when it's happening. It's 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 really impressive to hear him break down some of those quick how no look passes, all those crazy things that we see him do. And he can break it down and just, you know, minute by or you know, half a second by half a second what he sees. In terms of your know, favorite players, maybe Jar becomes that guy that overtakes for Zach Randolph uh, for you. But when we're looking at, at favorite players, you know, everyone always has that player that they are you know, more into or they believe in more than everyone else. The player that they stand for, when other people is like, you're crazy. Like, that guy is not good. Like, what are you talking about? Who's that guy for you? Whether it's a current player now, one from in the past, someone who you would go into bat for and be like, no, this guy is actually good, where others would say, Mark, come on, mate, you're, you're a little bit crazy. Like, who's that guy for you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's been there there's been a lot of players over the years, um, but I think probably, and Memphis has had, and I think that, I think Memphis Grizzlies fans think this is unique to them, but it's not as far as just terms of finding a, a, a competent backup point guard is always, a, you know, always a challenge in the NBA. There's just, I think not a whole lot of them. Uh, and the Grizzlies have struggled that for a long time, but uh, Grizzlies Vasquez is one of the players. I think that um, some people would, would stand for Gravis and just like, this is, this is the guy. And some people would just roll their eyes. And so, I always thought he was better than than what he was given credit for. Um, that's just, I just liked the way he played, and so he's probably one of those guys that I would probably say, yeah, um, I probably know he's not, you know, he's he's not as good, um, but I like the way he plays. And and another guy that mo a lot of Grizzlies fans would say this about is Tony Allen. And let, let's be honest, Tony Allen um, is a uh, was a guy that in terms of basketball prowess. Uh, was just a glorified role player, but the, what he did for the team and the city is is different. So I think a lot of Grizzlies fans would probably say, "Hey, Tony is, you know, I know that he's just a guy that can't shoot, misses layups, and is just only good on defense, but he means more to the city than you can ever imagine." So I think you know that a lot of people would might even say, might even might even say Tony in that question. Yeah, I could see that because Alan's reputation amongst Grizzlies fans is definitely significantly higher than what it is across the league and for good reason, for the way that he did sort of carry that team and really embody the spirit of that whole squad during those uh, during those great seasons in the, in the Mark and Mike era. Mark, thank you for coming on Locked on NBA and talking about your journey as a Grizzlies fan with me and everyone who wants to hear about the Grizzlies can do that over on Locked on Grizzlies. Thank you, Mark. Absolutely, Josh. Anytime, man. Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Charles Mockler, is here with me. Charles, it is always a bold choice when someone is a Clippers fan in the city of Los Angeles over the Lakers. So why, uh, why are you a Clippers fan? Um, I'm uh, so I'm originally I'm not an Angelino originally. Um, I'm from the great state of Montana, and so I've, I come from a place where you can kind of your whole sports life 
you basically pick and choose teams. There's no professional sports teams in uh, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Idaho, so it's all kind of far away. And when I moved out to L.A., um, this, I mean, A, the Clippers were kind of peaking. It was right before um, they got Doc in that trade. So I got to see, you know, it was like right when Lob City was popping off. And I kind of always knew about the Clippers as the Clippers, um, <laughs> as most people know them uh, historically. And so when I moved to L.A., they were A, the only team I could afford to actually go watch. Uh, and B, I just felt it just the identity of, uh, Montana and the Lakers never really gelled. I don't know what you personally know, uh, about the state of Montana, but it's not exactly like a showtime, uh, type, <laughs> type I know, area I know that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I like the underdogness. I, I love, you know, you identify with. Some people just uh, have a calling or can understand when the team just when things just don't go your way, no matter how hard you're trying to kind of do things, uh, someone at the top uh, might keep you down. So it was a cool team to see the underdog story. And when the knuckleheads were a thing, when Darius Miles and all of that was going on, that kind of basketball was on my radar when I was young, not necessarily as like, oh, I like this team. But that brand of basketball, again, isn't exactly played a lot in the state of Montana. So you saw some basketball that was being played that, I don't know, would have been maybe illegal or something where I'm from. So that was like a historically just a piece of insane basketball to watch uh, compared to what I was seeing uh, there. So when we talk about Clippers, the, the first thing I guess in modern history is people revert to Lob City, to the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era, and there's been a lot coming out about mm-hmm. that recently, about you know, talking about the, the infighting. JJ Reddick's had a lot to say about that and you know, lost opportunities. Did it really feel like that in the time of that being a huge lost opportunity? Because I remember back around those teams, this was before maybe the first Warriors championship. I picked the Clippers to win the title. That's it. I'm like, yep, look at this. Everything's here. They are going to go here and, and, and win it. So how big of a disappointment was that era of teams? It's funny because disappointment is crazy because like you look at it's just such bad luck that the Clippers, you know, at the time bet I mean, well, historically their best run ever ran head on into the Warriors kind of changing how basketball was played at the professional level. Um with those teams like the uh the closest like the best team i think the clippers ever had i think they were they were top five in offensive rating they're kind of middling in defensive rating it was that um maybe the 14 15 team um but then you looked at the warriors numbers and they were one and one in offensive rating and defensive rating for the year and i think this in the moment the disappointment was huge as you're watching it happen um and it, it uh, the Clippers playoff stories all come to an end right around the same part, you know, like there's a pretty common denominator at how far they've gotten. So it's almost, I think the disappointment, it all just combines into just a one kind of satisfying, not unsatisfying, like, God damn it. Like it just never, there was always something. There's the game, there's the Rockets game, there's, you know, last second plays that don't go your way. And towards the end, I think people understood that the infighting was getting a little like the frustrations were truly boiling over. But before that, when it was just kind of things were going well um, and people could 
kind of sweep that aside because things, you know, like you said, you picked them. Like everything was there. JJ was there. Um, the bench was there. Like it all felt right, but it never, it's hard to not compare it to this year uh, because you look at this team and this team, uh, when basketball hopefully comes back, feels so much more of a contender than any of those Lob City teams to me, um, pretty much top to bottom. So, I mean, it was big, and it, but it also was a first taste of success. So I think some fans had this kind of like sigh, well, this is as good as it's been literally ever, so how truly mad can we be? The the way that the Clippers run, not ended, but the way I guess all those teams sort of came together, it's very reminiscent of the team that, that I follow here in Australia in Australian football for called the Western Bulldogs. We had had no success at all. We'd been into one, <laughs> one final series, um, one grand final, which we call, which is our like Super Bowl here. We'd won one of those over a hundred years. We'd been only into two of them <laughs> over that time as well. And then we got into the conference finals seven times in like twenty years and lost, lost, oh, shit. lost all of them. But then, <laughs> then four years ago, we finally got, made it to the, the our Super Bowl and we won it. So I can see things changing around here for the Clippers. It's a very similar trajectory. You have those teams, you light up the league, you go, yeah, this is the year, and then something goes wrong and something goes wrong and it keeps going on, keeps going wrong. Then the team changes a little bit and it finally happens. And that happened to, uh, to our team here. Hopefully that can happen for, for you and, and all Clippers fans if this season ever gets back underway. But who was... Uh, yeah, but there's... Boring answers, I guess you could say. Favorite Clippers of all time. It's, it's Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, all that sort of stuff. But I want to know from yeah. you. I want to know from you, Charles. Who's that guy for you? Who's the underrated player that some of people might say to you, "You're crazy for thinking this guy was good." Who's that guy that you will go into bat for? That you'll get into an argument about to say, "No, this guy <laughs> was good." Who's your Clippers player? So there's, I have. I'm going to go with kind of a fun pick uh, because the 17, 18 Clippers, uh, they won 42 games. There was, there's not even really that big of a notable win on the season. Like they beat the Warriors, but like Steph and Draymond were out or something like that, um, and stuff like that. It was a team that had no business winning 42 games uh, at all. Um, it kind of started the, it was the end of Lob City firmly. It kind of planted these seeds of this like new grit that the Clippers kind of have. I'm going, going with uh, point guard Milos Teodosic. Yes. Um, he is. I mean, he he's a meme at this point, pretty much. But he embody like he play he throws the best one-handed uh, full court underhand passes you've ever seen in your life. Uh, he's one of the he just his vision was absurd. He's one of those guys who they talk about maybe like could have come across uh, from Europe sooner and he would have had a bigger NBA career. But I think he really just wanted to stay in Europe and hang out. Um, but he provided, there's an over, there's a no look over the shoulder bounce pass to Deandre Jordan from that year that gets run in a bunch of highlight videos pretty regularly. And in a year where winning 42 games was a a kind of resounding success, he helped kind of punctuate with some fun to it. Like the, you know, Lou will won six man of the year that year, um, so he was fantastic to watch. So him and Milos would be on the court every now and then together, and you would give up a mountain of points, obviously, but you would also score points in some of the most pleasing ways that a 42-win team could possibly score. So it was cool to see that flash of creativity also kind of act as like the last fizzle of Lob City, um, going kind of against maybe what Doc wants from a point guard because Milos did not play defense, but 
if you follow the Clippers and you watched a bunch of games that year, Milos definitely holds a place in your heart for fun and just kind of general. Yeah, just really basically just a good time. Well, there you have it. Another game for Milos. Charles, thank, <laughs> yeah, thank, exactly. you, thank you for coming on and talking about the Clippers with me here on Locked On NBA. You'll have a lot of Clippers coverage for us on Locked On Clippers while we're waiting for the season to resume. And of course, once it eventually does, as they push for that elusive first title. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, enjoy your house as we all are. <laughs> <laughs> Now I am joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Anthony Irwin is here with me. Anthony, you are a man who loves the Lakers. How did that begin? Birth, uh, basically. We, uh, my dad grew up a, a, a huge Lakers fan. Um, weirdly enough, my mom and her whole family, even though they grew up uh, in El Paso, Texas, which is like a thousand miles away from L.A., uh, they all grew up, you know, big fans of the team as well. So uh, that was, so he was basically, I, w- I was put in front of a TV and shown Magic Johnson highlights. And then, uh, you know, I was born in 86. So right, you know, I think usually right around 10 years old is when you start actually thinking about sports in a way that uh, can be described as, uh, you know, fanhood and and understanding, you know, making your own choices there. And you know, right around that time, the Lakers had the the, the really fun mid '90s team with Nick Van Exel and uh, a young Kobe, Anthony Peeler, Eddie Jones, Eldon Campbell, and his uh, neck that didn't allow him to turn his head. Uh, it was it was it was a fun time, and and uh, even though that team wasn't great, that it just it was a fun enough team to to get me interested in it. And then you had the Lakers history, which kind of made fans feel as if you know it was just. You know, the next title was right around the corner, so it was a pretty easy team to root for. I think you're right about that sort of age group. That was the sort of time that, that I got into the NBA around that you know, end of uh, elementary school sort of a, a time, 10 to 12 sort of area. A lot of people sort of pick up their sports fandom then, or often they'll do it a little bit later, maybe starting college when they've got more of that free time to do their own sort of thing. They're the two sort of, well, for me interviewing all these hosts, the two major sort of formative areas in, in terms of, of fandom. And of course, you know, the, the Lakers are just so omnipresent that you know, it's always sort of pumped into you that you know, the Lakers are here, the Lakers are excellent, the Lakers are the best. So yeah, having that material around is always a great way of being able to absorb the history of things that you haven't necessarily seen and get back into it and understand the, the, the genetics, the DNA of a team and a franchise the way the Lakers have and been a part of. You know, not only uh, American culture, but you know, worldwide culture for, for so many years. But Anthony, prior to this season, it's been a little bit down. For this team, I think that's a, f- a fair uh, a fair statement. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. The Lakers yeah. have had that reputation, and this is it may be unearned, of being a, a bandwagon squad. Oh, you go for the Lakers. You know, you're, you're not a real fan. But how have the fans you know, taken to these down periods? Has Have you noticed a, a drop-off of interaction? Because I personally haven't. I see you know, plenty of you know, Lakers interaction right across social media. I haven't noticed that. It seems to me that the fan base, despite having that reputation of being this uh, you don't know anything you go for the Lakers sort of mentality that it isn't really like that in reality it's it's actually kind of funny so I guess I have a couple points on this one the idea of like the the Laker bandwagon fan like both things can be true you can be bandwagon but then you can be passionate once you become a fan of that team so I think that's what you get a lot of times and it's funny I, I just recently moved from Southern California to Texas 
And one thing that you kind of notice or that I've noticed in moving out here is this push to be a cowboy fan. Like it's so immersive out here in Texas to be a Dallas Cowboys fan that you kind of find yourself. I, I would never be a Cowboys fan, but but you you kind of find yourself like, oh, I, I wonder what's going on with the team here, and and it's it's bar, you know, it's 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 the kind of conversation when you build up belly up to a bar out here when when we were still allowed to do such a thing, and I feel like it's a lot of the same. It's 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 been funny to experience that from the standpoint of somebody moving to an area and being immersed in that kind of culture and and while knowing that that's the kind of thing that basically happens in LA and, and in Southern California where it is this giant melting pot you have people from coming all over the world all over the country and 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 uh, they arrive in LA and the one kind of unifying presence in the city is is really the Lakers so you get a lot of people who, you know, they move to L.A. and they, they're surrounded by it so much that eventually there's at least some subconscious buy-in, uh, unless you're a diehard fan of some other team before you move there. And, and you know, eventually you, you, you find yourself buying in more and more and more. And, and then you have that special experience that really gets you to fully, you know, immerse yourself and make that choice to be a Laker fan. And I think that's kind of what's goes, what goes on there with the Lakers. Like you said, the Lakers have won so many championships across so many generations that even if you've moved even if you move to LA or to Southern California from a different area uh, it, it's it's more likely than not than in most decades they've won a championship that you've been able to share with your family or friends or whatever and it's made it really easy for people to be passionate even while there's a large bandwagon presence who is your favorite Lakers player in the non-Rajon Rondo division? <laughs> he's he's just on the outside. <laughs> Honorable mention, really. Um, I, I would probably, you know, it, Kobe for an entire generation was was everybody's favorite. You know, that, that's why you say the wrong thing about Kobe. And this was before he passed away, obviously. But you say the wrong thing about Kobe and it's going to ignite a conversation and it's going to be a lot of, you know, Lakers forever 24 ats in your mentions that, that are, you know, telling you why you're a hater and why you're wrong and why you have never watched the sport. And, and uh, you know, even while that's gone on and while it can be kind of pervasive and obnoxious, uh, for a lot of non-crazy Laker fans, he was, you know, for my people my age group, the, the absolute most interesting and fun player to watch in, in that kind of generation. So that's the easy answer. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the, the team that I grew up with, this was, a, you know, literally a couple seasons before Kobe, but uh, the, the Nick, Nick Van Axel was so freaking cool. He was this left-handed point guard who could bomb from anywhere, who could get by anyone, who could dunk on people every so often if he caught them off guard. He had a really cool nickname via Chick Hearn. He was Nick the Quick. Uh, he did this thing where he would hit a, a three-pointer and run back the other direction, throwing punches. Uh, and and there may or may not be a, a clip of, you know, a twelve-year-old me, <laughs> a twelve-year-old Anthony Irwin, uh, that my parents have, where I made a shot and I was like trying to do, trying to look like Nick the Quick, but just looked like I was having a seizure going down the court. Uh, but but yeah, that's the those are the two guys that that really got me to fall in love with the sport. 
uh, Nick Van Exel was an interesting one as well because he was a, a second round pick as well. Um, yeah, really sort of pushed himself out of that you know, unheralded territory as a draft pick into becoming yeah. a, a legitimate star over the course of his career. Anthony, thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me and talking about your journey uh, as a fan of the Lakers, of course, now into covering them and all Lakers stuff will be for all of the listeners over on Locked On Lakers throughout this shutdown and when the NBA season eventually kicks back up. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. After you finish listening to this episode, make sure you're telling your smart device to go and listen to the most recent episode of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board New Show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Go and check that out. Subscribe to this show wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you could give us a five-star review, that would be most excellent. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.